Well, again, good morning. It's great to see you. My name is George Davis, and uh, that's a great story from AJ. Appreciate him sharing a little bit of his life with you. And we were sharing his story because we're in this series where we're talking about team. Our series is entitled Put Me In Coach. So if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Romans chapter 12, right? We're talking about what it looks like to be part of a team. That's why we've got Gatorade out there. So make sure you grab one of those. By the way, as you're turning there, let me just make reference to something I said last week. If you heard last week, I just told a simple story about being in a convenience store recently and I helped pay for the bill of the guys in front of me. So on Monday of this week, I'm at, I, I had, took the car out to gas it up and I'm at Turkey Hill getting a drink and as I'm about to pay for the I was about to pay for my drink, the woman behind me leans around to the cashier and says, I'm paying for his drink. And I turn around and I go, Really? And her first words are, Well I was listening to yesterday's message. Which I thought I thought that's great. So if I see you at Turkey Hill or Sheets, make sure if I don't know you, you introduce yourself. The drink is going me. You know we're going to keep this going because that's right, man. Uh, because this is right. This is this is part of what it means to be on the same team. You know, speaking of team, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had an experience like this? I was in my 20s. I, during my mid-20s, for one year, I worked for a Christian radio station in Dallas, and I was part of a team of seven people. Um, that We actually did the morning drive show together. And I remember the first time I walked into a team meeting. It was in a conference room at the radio station, and, and the other people were seated around the table. And I was, you know, I was the rookie, I was the n- new guy on the team, and some of these people had been working together for a long period of time. And I, and I still remember this, you know, I'm walking into that room, and, and I'm nervous, I'm kind of anxious, you know, that churning in your gut. And there are all these, these questions just bouncing around in my head. You know, how am I going to fit into this team? Will I fit into this team, right? Or am I going to just be kind of an outsider, do I have a contribution to make? What does that look like? And, you know, just all these questions about what's, what's you know, do I really fit in or not? And those were, those were the questions bouncing around in my head. How about, my guess is you've, you've been in situations, right, where you've walked into a new situation. You know, you walked into a new school from elementary school to middle school or high school, and all of a sudden there are these new people, and you walk into that first class. And, okay, do I know all the people? What's it going to look like? How will it be? Some of you, you know the experience of walking onto a campus. Where am I going to fit in? What does that look like? Walking into a new job, being part of a new team at work. And so what's my role? What's my contribution? For some of you, maybe it was the experience of of being engaged in the first time you met your fiance's extended family, right? Am I going to fit into this? What will that look like? Have you known known that experience where you're, you know, you're, there's just a certain level of anxiety, uncertainty. How am I going to fit into this group? What is my role? Will I really be a part of this? You even, you even have that experience when you walk into a church. In fact, maybe some of you, you know, you're, you're new or relatively new to our church. And those are, the, those are the questions that were bouncing across the back of your head, even as you walked in this morning. Can I, can I really be a part of this? Do I fit in here, right? Can I be a part of this team? 
And all of these experiences raise the question, so what exactly does it take to be a good team player? What does that look like? More specifically for us as followers of Jesus Christ, for those of us who know Christ, what does it look like to to be a good team player as part of a church community? My guess is all of us have had team experiences. Some have been good, some have been not so good. Many of us would say I've been on teams that were healthy and I've been on teams that weren't and you've, you've experienced the difference. So what does this look like for us as a church community? We're going to come back, we're coming back to Romans chapter 12. And as we talked about last week, this part of Romans, it's it's really about, I mean, the apostle Paul's writing this early group of followers. This is all about being on the team and what that looks like. And as we come kind of to the middle section of this opening part of Romans 12, I think Paul does help us understand what does it take to be a good team player? And simply put, what I want us to see this morning are, are these two Simple ideas. What, is it, what does it take to be a good team player? I need to think clearly and act boldly. I need to think clearly and act boldly. Let's now come to Romans chapter 12 and, and talk about thinking clearly. Look at verse 3 of Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, this statement is really all about thinking. In fact, you could could actually translate it this way. Um, Do not think about yourself more highly than you should think. Instead, think with sober thinking. <laughs> That's just a, maybe a little more literal translation of what Paul is saying here. Now, if you were here last week, right, the, we talked about last week that part of being a good team player is you've got to have your head in the game. And that's where Paul starts this passage at the beginning of Romans 12, right? He talks about the fact that we're not to be conformed to this world, we're, but our minds are to be renewed. That is, the gospel is to take root in such a way that is shaping how we think. And, and now Paul begins to drill down on that a little further by really showing us kind of what this renewed thinking needs to look like, needs to involve. And so he shows us kind of the, the clear thinking that we're supposed to have and, it, and, and we're to think with humility, right? It's a real sense in which as Christians, we are to lead with humility. Notice again, uh, by the grace that's given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, just, just, just slow down there for a minute. We, we read quickly through this, but for the original audience of this letter, this line, this, this was, whoa, 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 Paul, where are you coming from? This was a shocking moment because what Paul is saying here is extremely countercultural in a Roman context. Because see, one of the differences between our situation and theirs is this. You and I, in some ways, have, have grown up in a culture that broadly values humility as a virtue. But in, but Humility was never really considered a virtue in the ancient world, particularly the Roman world. Humility was only for the weak. In the Roman world, particularly among the elites, what was valued 
was honor and recognition. That's what made life work. That's what life was, was about. It was like pursuing honor and, and, and gaining the honor that was due when you achieved in a particular area of life. One of my favorite examples of this was the ancient city of Rhodes. And there's evidence that, that Rhodes, this ancient Roman city, was very proactive, was very aggressive at recognizing high achievers in their community. Of course, part of the motivation was, you know, as you recognize achievement, you encourage achievement. So, so in Rhodes, the city officials were very proactive that for high achievers in their community, people that excelled athletically or people that made great gifts to the city, when you excelled and you were recognized, they, they built your statue. You got a statue. So when you would visit the 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 city of Rhodes in the first century, you would see these statues in public places that were recognizing the leading citizens, right? Everyone who was worthy of honor, but then they, they developed a problem. They were so good at this, they started running out of space. We've only got so much space for statues, so now what do we do? And somebody came up with a brilliant idea. We don't, we don't need to build more statues all we need to do is change out the inscriptions. And that, believe it or not, that's what they started doing, right? We don't need more statues, just change the nameplate. So so-and-so would be recognized, we build his statue, and at some point he dies, so we still got the statue. So now we just change out the inscription at the bottom. And that's what they started to do. And it's just, that, that's just, a, that's just a, a, a single slice of evidence about how the drive for honor so powerful in, in the Roman world. And now Paul takes that, right? That value that's so deeply embedded in this culture and he flips it over completely. And he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, kind of in overturning his cultural value, Paul is really challenging the notion that that you're to feel good about yourself by being better than other people. I mean, that's that's kind of the way life worked in the Roman world, particularly for people of means. How do you feel good about yourself? You feel good by coming out on top. You feel good by comparing yourself to other people and knowing that you've done better. You've achieved more. You're more successful. You own more. That, that's the, that was a powerful motivator. And so it just created, it fostered this culture, right? That it was always, how am I doing in comparison to others? How am I more worthy of honor than the people around me? I want to be better. I want to be more known. I want to be more successful. Those were, the, those were the driving questions. So life was all about comparing yourself to others and seeing who came out on top. Right? We even see this in the New Testament. Remember, Paul starts this church in Corinth and we read 1 Corinthians and, and what are they doing? We've got different factions within the church. There's some saying, well, I'm with Paul, I'm with Cephas, I'm with Apollos, right? I mean, we're lining up behind different leaders and my leader's better than your leader. That was just this cultural value at work and you know, it's not surprising it came into the church. It was part of the broader culture. Life was all about comparing yourself and coming out on top. 
And now Paul takes that and it's like, no. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. He takes the value, he turns it on its head. Of course, now where does he get this value? Well, he gets it from Jesus, right? I mean, we've just gone through Mark's gospel. Remember, the, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus said, if you want to be first, be first at serving. So Paul would drill down into this, right? He would tell the church of Philippi, right? You need to have the mindset, this mindset of humility that you also saw in Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, look, if you want to be a team player, you've got to think clearly. You've got to lead with humility. Along these lines, I love this quote from uh, uh, author John Dixon, who writes this, that humility is the noble choice to forgo your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. So notice where Paul is going with this. He's saying, I mean, he's, he's addressing these people, and this is their culture, right? You think good about yourself by being better than others, by comparing yourself, and you, you need to come. And then, right, and that was, that was a drive that fueled the success of the Roman Empire. Because when you overachieved, you got honor, and that, that was what we were all looking for, was honor. Paul says, look, you, if this is the way you're going to live. This isn't, this isn't being a team player. He says, I, I want you to think differently. He says, I, I want you to, <laughs> I want you to overturn that value. I don't want you to think of yourselves more highly than you ought. I want you to think of yourself with sober judgment. And I think where he's going right here is, is I think in the back of his mind, he's thinking about what he's already said earlier in this passage, what he's already said earlier in the book. I want you to think of yourself with sober judgment in that you are the recipient of the mercies of God. As a follower of Jesus, the, the life story of your life is now embedded in the bigger story of God's achievement, of God's initiative. And as he's going to go on to say, the, even, even the gifts and abilities of your life, those are evidences of God's mercy. So I want you to think differently. And allow the, the reality of what God is doing to foster a certain humility where it's not always how am I doing and how am I doing in comparison with other people? How's my family in comparison to other families, my job, my house, all of that. I want you to get out of that way of thinking. I now want your thinking to be with sober judgment grounded in the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, this just, this, is just, this just becomes a different way to think. And, and the more we're kind of open to moving in the, this direction, where I, you know, the more when, even when some of those thought patterns kick in, I challenge them with the gospel. I think there are a couple of things you will see happen in your life. First of all, the more you're able to kind of move down this spectrum and think in these terms, Right? Think with the humility that is grounded in the gospel. Think of yourself as, you know, I'm I'm a recipient of God's grace and now I'm being empowered to be a part of this bigger story. So life isn't about just comparing myself with others. The more that you allow that to happen, the more, first of all, you will see this, this is a more liberating way to live. That may sound odd, but but here's the reality. When life is... (laughs) 
When life is always, when my default thinking is how am I doing in relation to other people? Right? I go to work and how am I doing in relation to those people? I look at my career, my family, how am I doing in relation? You know, when it's always the comparison thing, this becomes a grind over time. And the reality is some of you, life feels like a grind because you're stuck in this, this mode of thinking. It becomes a grind because they're all, you know, at some point there are always going to be people whose job looks better, whose house looks better, whose family looks better, whose marriage looks better. I mean, that, it, it is, this, is, this way of life produces a grind. Furthermore, this way of life has very little space for transparency, for vulnerability, for weakness. Right? If my life's all about I need to be better than and I need to, you know, I want to make sure people view me in a certain way and respect me in a certain way, if that's what I'm living for, it becomes harder for me to acknowledge those places where I get off track. It becomes harder for me to kind of acknowledge my weaknesses, areas that I'm not particularly strong in and invite other people in to help or, or counsel or just friendship. That, I, and, and it means I've got to carry the weight of those weaknesses alone. By contrast, notice where Paul is headed, Right? Paul is headed in the direction of saying, no, when, when you begin to think differently, when your mind is more and more grounded in this renewed thinking centered in the good news that kind of produces a humility where you're not just about you, but you're moving in a more outward direction. As this happens, you also gain a deeper understanding that you are part of a team, that you were never intended to do this alone. So notice how Paul continues. Look at verses four and five. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. To the extent that you're familiar with the New Testament, at different times you read these statements, these one another statements in the Bible, right? We're to love one another. We're to be kind to one another. We're to forgive one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. This is one of the one another statements. He literally says, we are members of one another. So the mindset that, that Paul, you know, he, he's saying, look, this is how you think clearly as a team player. You've got to get out of that mindset where, where your default response is always, how am I doing in comparison to other people? You've got to allow the gospel to take root in such a way that you see yourself as a recipient of God's mercy. So life, you know, you got to take yourself off the pedestal. It's not just about you. And, and as you see yourself as a recipient of God's mercy, you also understand that through God's mercy, you've been brought into this different team. And it's in the context of team that you're going to have the opportunity to kind of contribute to the lives of other people. And they are going to be there for you. That's the vision of team that Paul is portraying here. If I, I don't buy into this, it, it, life just can become a grind. And not only, I think, is this way of life liberating, it is also empowering. Because you see, as I understand my life more in, context, in the context of God's mercy and grace, 
As I understand my life is I'm now part of this team and God is going to give me opportunities to kind of encourage, support, build in the lives of other people. This becomes empowering to be for other people in more powerful ways. If I'm over here, I think it just becomes harder to be for other people. It's hard for me to be for you when I'm constantly comparing myself to you. It's hard for me to be for you if my first response is, well, I never would have made that mistake. That never would have happened to my family, right? And it's hard for me to be fully for you if, if we're always playing this comparison game. So Paul, you know, Paul is, I mean, he's having to work against culture. This is heavy lifting here, but he's saying this is where the gospel takes us. The gospel moves us in this radically new way of thinking differently. And it becomes liberating to us personally. It becomes empowering to us relationally. Interestingly, uh, C.S. Lewis, when he talks about humility, the author C.S. Lewis, he, he has some interesting observations. He says this, He says, you know, we often think about humility as just kind of groveling or self-deprecation. But he says, you know, that's, that's that's not what humility really is. And basically he says this, look, if you meet someone who is truly humble, it's not like they're going to be just always putting themselves down, always kind of just looking at their shoes, always kind of, woe is me, I can't do anything. No, here's what he says. He says, if you meet a truly humble person, what you will find is a person that is cheerful, that is joyful, who is able to take a real interest in you. And I quote, he will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And and you see this, so as the gospel is renewing my mind and it's kind of... It's getting me out of this comparison game where it's all about me and how I'm doing in comparison to other people. But when it is developing a a deep humility, it will also empower me to be more fully present for other people in ways I haven't been before. So Paul says, you've got to think clearly. So maybe, maybe my, question, my question to you is then, okay, so, so how's your thinking? How's your thinking? I mean, when you, when you kind of see this spectrum, where, where along the line would you put yourself? And, and as you read these words, I mean, have you reached a point where you see yourself, as, you know, as a follower of Christ, as part of the team? Do you see yourself as... Part of this team, I realize some of us, maybe you're new, you're just checking us out, that's great, but some of us have been here for a while, and if that's the case, do you you really see yourself as a part of the team? Now, I realize in saying this, there's always the reality of, you might say, well, George, you know, I've tried to get involved in the past, and it hasn't worked out well, or we've had negative experiences. I mean, we encourage, you know, we encourage you to become a part of a Live, Love, Lead group here, and we'll be launching some new groups in a few months, and maybe you say, you know, I tried that, that didn't work, the group didn't work, and, and those things happen at times. And it's possible for us to say, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to take Paul seriously here. I don't really want to, I'm going to protect myself from seeing myself as part of a team, from seeing myself in relationship with other people because I've been burned in the past. And maybe that's where you're at. But let me just remind you this. Paul's not writing a perfect church here. It becomes very clear as we read the next couple of chapters. This is a church going through conflict. 
This is a church where it appears like, because some people are coming from a Jewish perspective, others are from a Gentile background, there's some really heavy tension that's going on in this church. And Paul isn't saying, look, you've been burned in the past, it's gotten really messy, therefore just back off. Paul is saying, no, this is God's vision. I think sometimes in church, we've got to be willing to say, am I, you know, am I going to be part of the problem or am I going to be part of the solution? So do you, do you see, you see, you see this, Paul says, look, I want you to think differently and it's thinking differently. It's life's just, it's just not about how you were doing in comparison to other people. I, you need to let the gospel take root so that you see yourself as part of a team. So he says, think clearly. And then not only does he say, think clearly, he also says, we need to act boldly. Look at verse six. Right? Right, once you realize that you're part of the team, once you realize you've got a contribution to make, he says, take action. Verse six, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And notice throughout this paragraph, there's this strong, I mean, just Paul just leans into action, right? I mean, it's like, so look, if this is your gift, go for it. If this is your gift, go for it, right? He continues. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Right? He said, look, I want you to realize you've got to get beyond yourself and how you compare. You've got to realize you're part of this bigger story. You're now part of this team. And, and, and when you're part of this team, you've got to realize you're, there's some real serious one another's going on here. You're a member of this body and, and you've got a role to play. And as you understand that, just go for it. Right? Grab hold of it. I mean, that's, I mean he just, he's just leaning into action at this point. Now, as we come to this passage, I realize this, this whole topic raises all sorts of, of questions, right? Spiritual gifts. And it creates a lot of confusion. I mean, just one way to define spiritual gift is this. It's, it's just a spirit-empowered ability used for the benefit of others. Interestingly, the, the term Paul uses here, you can also translate this way. It, it may actually be a better translation as grace gift. And what, what Paul is saying is that in each of our lives as believers, there are, there are concrete manifestations of God's grace given for the benefit of other people. Now, as I said, this topic raises a lot of questions. So very quickly, let me just make a couple of preliminary observations um, that maybe can help clear some of our thinking about this. First of all, I would say this. Understand in the, the New Testament, when the, when the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, understand the gift list are examples, but they're not exhaustive. Right? We read kind of lists in, in Romans and 1 Corinthians, but you'll notice if you compare the list, the lists are not identical. Paul doesn't say this is a list of all the ways God uses people for, from now until the end of time. The, the list he gives to different churches, are, they're just examples of different ways God works in our lives. 
So I think in saying that, you know, sometimes we'll use a spiritual gift inventory that helps kind of, I think, move us in a direction of understanding ourselves. Just don't get locked into, I can only have one of these gifts on this list. Along those lines, let me also encourage you to pay attention to this, that the, when, when Paul talks about gifts, it's, it's a wide variety of things. Right, from things that kind of appear really supernatural, kind of wow kinds of gifts, to, to things that are more behind the scenes, administration, serving. And so I think that there's, Paul envisions God working through people in a wide variety of ways. So you can't just kind of put certain things in a box and say, these are the only ways in which God works through different people to build the lives of others. But sometimes maybe you kind of feel that, I don't, you know, I can't teach or... You know, I'm not a public speaker. I don't do music. And you feel like, well, therefore, God, I'm not really, I can't really buy into the idea that, that God wants to use me. But there's a wide variety of ways God uses people. Along those lines, I would also say this. I think sometimes in Christian circles, we get, we have this endless conversation about, well, can, you know, do we, do we have to draw a line between spiritual gifts and natural abilities? And how do we think through those? And to be honest with you, I'm absolutely convinced that's a conversation the Apostle Paul would never engage. Really. I think Paul would just say this. Look, all of who you are has been given to you by God. And when you, you are open to how God wants to be in work in your life and you're kind of you're open to the work of the Spirit and the ways in which his grace flows through you into the lives of other people, and that can happen in so many different ways. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I can almost hear Paul saying, I don't care what you call it. Just live it. <laughs> right? I mean, I can hear. I can just hear Paul saying that. So understand, the lists are not exhaustive. Understand that there are a wide variety of ways in which God is at work in our lives for the benefit of other people. The third thing I would say is this. Be careful about using spiritual gifts as an excuse. Now, here's what I mean by that. I think a downside sometimes of using personality inventories or gift inventories, a downside of using labels and boxes is we come away saying, well, this is my box and I can't do anything outside the box, right? Right, if you've taken, you know, some personality inventory, well, I'm an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs, therefore I can't do this other stuff. And sometimes when we think kind of seriously about how God's wired us, well, this, this is how God has gifted me. I don't have to worry. I can't do any of that other stuff, you know? It's like the kid that, you know, it's like the kid that goes to his dad and says, Dad, I'm sorry. I can't help you with the yard work. I do not have the gift of mowing. <laughs> right? I've never said that before publicly until now when my son's about to graduate. I didn't want to give him any ideas, so... But here's the reality. I may not have the gift of mercy. And by that I mean this. That may not be the primary way in which God works in my life to influence the lives of other people. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't be merciful. I may not have, quote, the gift of serving. That may not be the primary way in which God works in my life to influence the lives of other people. But that doesn't mean I just walk away every time there's a serving opportunity. In different seasons of life, that may be an appropriate way for me to engage the opportunities around me. 
So be careful about using spiritual gifts as an excuse. The fourth thing I would say, just as a preliminary comment, is this. Also be careful about gift projection. And by that, I mean this. I think for some of us, depending on how, however we're wired, our passions, kind of the way we engage God and seek to serve him, sometimes we can kind of project that onto other people. It's like, well, if this is, this is how I serve, if this is how I build into other people, it needs to be the exact same in your life as well. So, you know, I'm really wired, I teach her. For me, the answer to all of life's questions will always be found in a three to 400 page book. I kid you not, that's just the way I think, right? And I have the Amazon bill to prove that. <laughs> but that's, that's not what it's going to look like in your life. So if I, expect, if I expect everybody to look like me, I am dishonoring God's creative genius in your life. As my wife says, one of you is enough on any church staff. <laughs> I know that, that's kind of a joke in our family. What? We just need one of you, George. So be careful about gift projection. So those are just a, a several introductory comments. So very quickly then, let's just ask this question. So how do I take this seriously? You know, I mean, Paul, right? I mean, he's like, okay, however you're gifted, whatever it looks like in terms of how God can work through your life into the lives of other people, go for it because you're part of this team. You're thinking differently. But now what? Because I think this is where a lot of us get stuck. It's like, well, I don't feel like there's anything unique or really supernatural about the way I do things or the way I engage other people. And if that's where you're at, let me, let me just come back to a couple of things AJ said in the video. This is just a great example. First of all, I think, I think part, part of being a good team player is just willing to buy into, you know, okay, God, I want to take this seriously. I'm not sure where to start, but just making that a regular matter of prayer. And the deal is, as you make that a regular matter of prayer, I think you're just going to be more attuned to next steps that you can possibly take. And also, in, you, know, you heard in AJ's experience, it was just conversation with other people, learning about, I think sometimes just learning about opportunities. And, oh man, I think I would resonate with that. I think it's even... Even just having conversations with people that you know who might say, you know, hey, so what do you think? What do you think this might look like in my life? Because people who know you well may see things about you that you don't see. And the reality is, often the strengths in our life, we don't notice as much as other people because they come more naturally to us. So there may be ways in which you can support and encourage and build in other people that you're not fully attuned to because it's just, it's just so much of who you are. You don't realize other people don't have that gift or ability. So I think you begin with prayer and you begin with conversation. And I'll come back to that in a moment. And maybe just one other thing that I would mention is I would just ask you this question. So in situations where you engage need or you engage causes or you seek to help people, what does that look like? Because sometimes I think our lives already give us clues as to how God has wired us to serve. I remember being uh, a high school student and and, uh, I was at a church event that 
had involved a lot of our student leadership team in our high school ministry. And as we were leaving kind of late one evening and it had gotten dark. And as we all go out of this house and all our cars are parked out front, one of the guys who's a member of our leadership team noticed that he had a flat tire. And I don't remember exactly why. I just remember he was a bit distraught. Perhaps he was worried he was going to get in trouble. He was going to be late to whatever he was next going to. And I think there was even some concern about what are my parents going to do if I'm late. And, and so he was a bit distraught. And as all of this unfolded and all of us have kind of left the house at the same time, some people just started going into action. And I think there was one person who said, well, I tell you what, I'll go call his parents. And this was, of course, before cell phones. So he had to go back into the house to make a call. There were a couple of people, their natural response was just to kind of go up to this guy. Hey, it's going to be great. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, they were just encouraging. And then there were actually a couple of guys that went right to the car and, you know, they popped the trunk and they were getting the tire iron out and the, the tire up. And before you know it, the car was being jacked up so the tire could be changed. And, and I'm watching all this. See, that's part of my spiritual gift is watching, <laughs> thinking, I, I hate to admit it, but I was, hmm. I was just kind of watching and thinking. And I still remember this. And about that time, the youth pastor came over to me and he, I kind of knew, and he, and he, and he just, this is what he said. He said, he said, George, watch the way people are responding. I said, what do you mean? And he said, watch the way they respond to this. And it will tell you something about how they're wired. Right? Some of us just kind of naturally, we go to, to, to address the person. Others of us, we think organizations, we've got to get the phone call made. Others of us, we're, we're right to the task that needs to be done and we're helping and we're serving. And, and others of us, we're just standing there thinking. But, you know, <laughs> many parts in the body, many parts. And, uh, but I thought, you know, this, that was just, just a very, uh, uh, that, that reminder is always stuck in my mind when I think about this topic. And the truth is there may already be clues in your life as to what this can look like. But I think you've got to be willing to take the next step. And so if this, this, if this really isn't a part of your life yet, can, can I encourage you just to, just to take some steps in moving in this direction? And this, this has been part of the reason we're having this three-week emphasis, just to kind of portray this dimension of what it looks like to be part of a team and what it looks like to be part of a church. And we just want to make it possible for you to take next steps and living out the vision of team and church that is described here. So with that in mind, let me just draw your attention again to this serve card. And some of you, this is the, this is the next step. This is the next step you need to take. On this card, you, you see different opportunities for service and how you can get connected There's also just a box that you could check off to say, you know what, I have no idea. I just want to have a conversation. And that's what it will be. We're not going to force you to do anything or try anything. We've just got people that I think can be helpful to have some conversation with you to kind of help you think through what your life looks like and and what this looks like uh, for you in terms of next steps. And understand understand me clearly on this. Our goal, ultimately the goal isn't, hey, we've got to fill slots. No, the goal is this. We want, to be, we want to be the team. We want to be the church. That's the goal. And so for some of you, just starting that convert, this is the next step for you. And what I want you to hear me say is, and we want to take that with you. 
We want to be a place where this can be a next step for you in the journey of following Jesus. Are you willing to do that? Last week, we had 45 people who said, yeah, that's, I'm ready to take that step. <laughs> Put me in, coach. I'm ready. I'm ready. Maybe this is the week for you to join them. If that's the case, I want to challenge you to fill out this card. You can leave it in one of the boxes as you go. And this, is just, this just starts the process, the journey of saying, okay, put me in, coach. Put me in. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as uh, we've come back to this passage, I pray once again that we would understand that to, to be part of the team is to have a role to play. To be part of a team is to have the opportunity to contribute in the lives of others. And Father, some of us just need to be honest with you this morning that our thinking has gotten stuck in unhealthy places. And we are, we are kind of stuck in this comparison game that just isn't moving us in a healthy direction. So Father, would we, would we be challenged by your spirit this morning to understand the importance of thinking clearly in a way where we understand that we've been transformed by God's grace and therefore we're part of this team and so it's not about how do I compare myself with other people, but it's how are you giving me opportunities to serve and live out this grace in the lives of others? Father, with that is mine as well, would we also hear the challenge to act boldly? Father, I thank you for the different people here who are already serving inside and outside the church for, for the variety of ways in which people are investing in others. But also I acknowledge there's some of us that need to take that next step. So may we be willing to do that this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.